Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Jonathan Last, sitting in for Charlie Sykes. I'm joined today by my colleagues Ethan Epstein and Jenna Liffitz. Today is Friday, March 9, and last night we learned that Donald Trump is going to meet with Kim Jong-un soon. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, Ethan, you are our resident North Korea expert. So what, what, why? What, why is this happening? What, what, what's going on? Well, first off, uh, a slight correction on what you started. First, I'm a Korea expert, not just a North Korea. Well, but that's not, the, that's not the only no, correction. I did not mean that yeah. that was your only yes. area of I don't, expertise. In fact, I don't I like North Korea. I like Korea, ex- yes. But uh, the other correction I want to make is that they might meet. Now, I, all of this is being analyzed, slice and dice, as if you know it's set in stone and they're going into the room in 20 minutes. Supposedly, the meeting is going to happen before May. I think there's a lot that could happen between now and then that makes it so it won't happen. But leaving that aside... Uh, what has happened? So North Korea has been, the, uh, over the last few years under Kim Jong-un, has been very uh, kind of disdainful of overtures from the outside world. I mean, for a long time, they actually cut off the military hotline that connects the South and North, which is actually very The dangerous. red phone? Yes, which Their is actually a very dangerous phone. thing to do because they need to have some form of communication. But the North was literally not picking up the phone. Something has clearly changed uh, in, in recent months and recent weeks even. Their internal calculus has changed, and it and it's pushing them towards some form of engagement. My suspicion is this is born of of fear. I mean, uh, Donald Trump's administration, and not just he, but in tandem with our allies, has has ramped up sanctions uh, to an unprecedented level on North Korea. There's been loose talk, perhaps not really loose, but strategically loose talk about the possibility of a military strike. Um, and there's actually been an encouraging amount of um, coordination between South Korea's leftist presidential administration and the Trump administration here. Um, so all of those things have sort of, you know, clearly ramped up some enough pressure on the Kim regime that, that they feel they need to change their strategy now. And that in itself is significant. So you think this is something born not of strength, but of weakness? No, I yes. mean, uh, correct. I mean, I think if you look at North Korea's activities over the past couple years, you know, before this, that looked like strength. That looked like they didn't care what the world's reaction was going to be. They were going to continue with their nuclear program. They were going to continue with their missile development. Uh, this, on the other hand, looks like they they feel that they need to change strategy. And that, to me, does look like fear, uh, if not fear, at least weakness. Especially if you consider that just a couple months ago, Kim Jong-un was saying our nuclear weapons program is non-negotiable and there's just no way we're going to have talks about it. And now all of a sudden, there's this pretty strong overture to the South. I mean, you saw uh, South Korea's national security advisor yesterday saying the North, Kim said he is committed to denuclearization. Whether the Trump administration actually received that commitment itself is still a question on the table. Yeah, the rhetoric has shifted pretty amazingly, though. I mean, is it possible that denuclearization could be in North Korea's interest. I mean, this is something you and I have talked about sort of offline a lot, which is you know the Western, the Western line about North Korea has always been that these people just don't understand their own interests. Right. And when I think you and I both agree, North Korea understands their interests perfectly totally. well, and that nuclearization is the only reason that the Kim regime still is in power. Right. Yeah. I think there's only there's literally only one way that North Korea will truly denuclearize, absent the fall of the regime. Uh, And that's why this problem actually isn't going to be solved through this summit. So that would be by giving signing a peace treaty with North Korea and giving them security guarantees, which we're not. I mean, the United States is not going to do that, which means they're not going to give up their nuclear. I mean, this this is an intractable problem. Summit aside, it's it's a bind that we're not going to be able to extricate ourselves from 
uh, because those are North Korea's only two options. And as you point out, that's a perfectly rational and, in fact, the correct position for North Korea to take. I mean, they saw what happened to Saddam. They saw what happened to Gaddafi. They were quite reasonable in determining that at no cost could they give up their nuclear weapons, absent, as I say, a radical shift in their relationship with the rest of the world, which I don't think is in the offing either. And even a security guarantee... Is worth nothing, right? Can I mean, this is, on, yeah, which we actually is, did with Gaddafi, right? Too. No, this so, is totally, totally yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, so what are the possible reasons then, from their perspective, Jenna, that you think they could be doing this? Is this just an attempt to buy time? Is it an attempt to precipitate a conflict because you know, you get to the, the to the bargaining table and then you can come out of it and say, well, well, look, see, we we sat down with them and we couldn't do anything, and so now it's you know get get the artillery ready. What? What, what do they hope to get out of this? Thoughts? It could it could be um, that they want to have this meeting and then have it fail and then prove that the diplomatic option is not an option and all that's left is and you know they come out of it looking legitimized because Kim and Trump have a meeting t- together um, and maybe the world just has to accept North Korea as a nuclear actor and that's just. You know, that would be the sort of pessimistic interpretation of what happens if they come out of this meeting. Ethan, what's the optimistic interpretation? Like, so paint for me the— Or military. Just action. to be the best case. What What is the best case scenario you could see coming out of this? Uh, you know, they go have a meeting. Uh, nothing, perhaps North Korea pledges to freeze its program or something. It obviously doesn't agree to denuclearize. That's not going to happen. And then we continue to do what we need to do uh, with sanctions and clandestine activities, but particularly sanctions that target the elite that hopefully precipitates the fall of the regime. Because this, and this is a point that I think is worth repeating, because we always get bogged down in the nuclear conversation, but there are many other reasons that the North Korean regime, like, needs to fall just I, primarily the enslavement of over 20 million Koreans in in, in the north uh, even if it didn't have a, one nuclear weapon that would still be a moral necessity and uh, it's still the worst regime in the history of the earth right? uh, I mean yeah you know, arguably yeah, yeah. Um, so you know I I think it's good that the immediate uh, tensions are, are being brought down because I you know I don't think a a military conflict is worth having at this juncture. Uh, so if that can be avoided, but then also, you know, we continue to do whatever we can to uh, push for regime change. Yeah, I mean, go ahead, John, and then I'll, then I'll play devil's advocate. I just wanted to note, um, based on something you said earlier about uh, the value of nuclear weapons to this regime, CIA Director Mike Pompeo said a couple months ago that it's not just about uh, self-defense. It's about coercion, and it's about yeah. ultimately unifying the peninsula. That's their ultimate goal. So with that in mind, sort of hard to believe that they're going into this meeting ready to denuclearize. Yeah, that that's the other side of the nuclear coin is there's A, the, uh, the deterrence, but then there's also the long-term vision of uh, coercing the South into surrender. Of course, that requires the U.S. to to pull out of South Korea and also to you know withdraw security guarantees to the South, which you know has been a little bit of a concern as there's been hostility between Washington and Seoul. So this is also uh, this latest coordinated action also shows an encouraging. Uh, the schism seems to be closing between Washington and Seoul, too, which is actually also comforting to see. That's good. Now, I want to be pessimistic in a minute, but first I want to gently push you on something. 
So you said that uh, this should help ratchet down tensions. I guess that's possible, but you isn't asked it, me for the optimist, right? Side. No, I yes. guess that's right. But isn't it possible this actually puts us at least temporarily in a little bit more of a dangerous situation? Where I mean, I would assume, and maybe this is a wrong assumption, but just on basic game theory, if you're Kim, as you get closer to the summit, you have a great incentive to act out a little bit to see if you can force the Trump administration to go through with it and let you get away with something. No, I mean, it, it oh, seems totally. like, you know, all of a sudden, this is not, I'm, I'm not, this is not like never Trump, like trying to criticize the president or something, but this is just sort of the, the state of the world. It could get really dangerous in the very near term between now and, and May. Well, right? that that's one of the things I was alluding to at the top was saying the meeting might not happen. Right. I do think there's a strong chance that, you know, Kim said, oh, we're not going to fire missiles. What if three days before the meeting, he fires one off? Or that, that could absolutely happen. And in fact... Look, the North Koreans have been probing and testing the South uh, and the U.S. for forever, but also even in recent days. Like, for example, the the high-ranking dignitary they sent to the closing um, ceremony in Seoul was a guy that has was the mastermind of attacks that murdered dozens of South Koreans in the last five right. years. I mean, that was clearly another like a let's, provocation. Yes, right? Let's see. Let's see how could, we can push them. So, could yeah. this be a way to try to split? the south from the u.s a little bit more because i mean this again just think they're still they fire a missile three days before the talks america one assumes it'd be a tremendous amount of pressure for us to walk away yeah. then but the south might not want us to walk i mean you know saying you could see where yeah, yeah. this could be used as a wedge i think that's right and as as we know i mean they have been trying to build that wedge uh, or create that why do you build a wedge i don't know I think yeah, you force a wedge. Yeah, you force a wedge. That's been their strategy for a while now. And yes, yeah, so you can ac- absolutely see that happen. I do think, however, that if, let's say that scenario happens, the missile goes up three days, there will be a tremendous outcry in the South Korean public, too. I mean, let's not forget that Moon Jae-in's government was elected by a very, it was it's a minority government, it was elected with about 40%. Hey, just like here. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> there was a massive scandal involving the conservative. Right. Incumbent. But he won the Electoral College. Yeah. <laughs> Right. right. But if, you know, I will say this, if there had been a runoff, he would like, I was, South Korea should have runoffs, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, uh, there will be so much pressure in South, too, that I, I, it might not create the schism that we fear. And Moon Jae-in actually is aware of this, and he's been a little tougher on the North than some of us in the more hawkish uh, side of things had feared. So, Jenna, where sh- if this happens, with the big caveat that it may not probably may not, possibly may not happen. Where should it be? Should it be in Pyongyang? I don't think anyone thinks it's a good idea to fly the president and whoever he chooses to accompany him to North Korea. Um, Probably the demilitarized zone between the North and the South is the likely, most likely candidate. Uh, But I don't think Kim Jong-un has ever left North Korea, at least not to public knowledge. Well, no, no, no. He, he was went to boarding school in Switzerland, in Switzerland. Uh, yeah, right? But not since. But he hasn't met with. He's a, been to China. He, he accompanied okay. his father. But he, since, since assuming power, since he's in power, that's, right? That's, yeah. yeah, since yeah. assuming power. And I correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think that there has been a meeting between a North Korean leader and a sitting U.S. president. Correct. Um, so this is doing. If it happens, like Ethan said, this is going to be pretty momentous. I think the DMZ is the place to do it. Yeah, Ethan agreed. Yeah. Well, I. You know, you could try to push for a place like Geneva or something, but I, I don't think Kim Jong-un is going to leave the country. Um, he, like Since he's become president, he hasn't even been to China or Russia, and tr- traditionally North Korean leaders have at least felt comfortable with going yeah. there. 
they're going to try to have it in Pyongyang. Absolutely. Um, it's where they feel comfortable. It's where he'll feel safest. It's it's kind of the city is a living monument to that regime, which is a reason the Trump administration should you know, reject doing that. Of course, the, there's a truce house in Panmunjom where half the, uh, literally half the table is in North Korea, half the table is in South Korea. That's obviously the logical place to do right. this. Yeah. And again, I mean, this is <laughs> not to be taking the, the part of Kim Jong-un, but from his perspective, when you're a dictator, it's always dangerous getting away from your power center, right? I mean, because you have no real legitimacy. Everything you rule is ruled by fear. And so the minute you step away, you don't have your hands on the buttons of control, like some usurper could come in and you're always in danger of being overthrown. And he's in more danger than his father or grandfather simply because he's been so brutal towards the the elites in particular. Right. I mean, through purges, through actual mass executions of them, he's made enemies at a level that his it's all relative, but his his father was a slightly more gentle elite. Like, right, so, no, he's not kidding. So yeah. here's like this here's is... an example. In the old days, if there was an elite suspected of some kind of thought crime, he'd be sent for like re-education for a couple of years. Maybe he'd have to go to some faraway province and serve there. And then he could come back to Pyongyang and have his privileges. Now those people end up executed. So this has created a lot of fear and, you know, uh, a lot of resentment, I would say. And of course, for that reason, he'd be afraid to step away from the office for too long. So one of the things we had talked about in the pre-show meeting, because we have those, sorry to let you guys in behind the curtain. Uh, so in the, I mean, this is one of those situations where it's so bad that even the pie in the sky could never happen. Best case scenarios are horrifying. So if Kim Jong-un showed up and said, I just wanted to apologize, President Trump, for everything, and he took a cyanide pill and died and said, I hand, I hand the North Korean people back to the South for reunification, uh, it would cause a tremendous humanitarian disaster. It would destroy the economy of South Korea. It is not like integrating East Germany into West Germany. It's like integrating Somalia into Switzerland. It, it's, Which it's, they are trying now. <laughs> <laughs> More Sweden, okay. but yes. Yeah. But yes. Uh, I mean, so, so every part of this is bad, right? I mean, this is one of those cases where, weirdly enough, the status quo is almost not preferable, but the status quo is the least dangerous. Every step forward you take, no matter which way you go, in there's danger. Well, as yes, you're right. It would be a it would be a it would be a humanitarian catastrophe. It is, however, a humanitarian catastrophe. Right, already the status quo. Yes. yes. Should nor the North Korean regime fall, they can't. They're they just absolutely can't do immediate unification. I've been to. There is a unification ministry in Seoul. I've been there for interviews before. They're planning for it, but even they are, you know, open about it. The the GDP difference is this like the plan for the mission to Mars? Like you know, we're getting ready to yeah, go yeah, to Mars. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, it's. I think now the GDP spread is something like the average South Korean has a. Fifty times richer now than the average. It might be higher at this point. I mean, like it's it's nothing compared to. I think East Germany and West Germany were something like five times. And and here we are, twenty five years after German unification. Actually, they're still having a hard time with <laughs> that still, too. Yeah, exactly. So no, it, it 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 would be really hard. It would cost South Korea is a prosperous country, but they couldn't afford to do it on their own. It would take a, a Marshall Plan of like epic uh, epic scale, but also. There's like a psychological issue, too. I mean, North Koreans have been living under a totalitarian... Uh, how could they participate in a democracy? They have no civil society. They have no institutions. Yes, and 
further evidence of this is that North Koreans who make it to South Korea, and I've interviewed them too, they have a really hard time adjusting to life in South Korea. And it's not because they're stupid. It's just like they were, they were reared in an incredibly different society, even though it's also Korean society. But they don't under, they can't compete in a capitalist market, for example. They're unemployable, basically. They're, even they try to go to skills, but they get skills, but then they can't work in a modern economy like South Korea, let alone participate in democratic politics, let alone forge relate it's very hard for them to forge relations with south koreans who were born into a prosperous country and have basically had modern lives that aren't that different from our lives in america it would be a monumental task however it is one that we're going to have to undertake at some point and jen who do you think should do this since we already teed this up who do i think should do should underwrite the reunification eventually this is your thing. You said it was the United Nations. It's all the oh, United Nations oh, should yes, do. That's I'm right. sorry, I did I'm say setting that. you up because it was a that. brilliant idea. <laughs> um, Finally, something that. the UN could be good at. Right. Maybe the United Nations could underwrite it and we could take all the funding from the UN and just use it for this and then, you know, either dismantle or incredibly to a very, very, very high degree downsize the United Nations. I like that idea. <laughs> uh Wrapping up thoughts, was there anything else you guys had wanted to talk about with this? Ethan, did we, did we miss anything? Um, Trump's on a roll to bring it back to domestic politics. He was he was kind of flailing in a way a few months ago, but between the increased po- you know the increased popularity of the tax cut, and I'll say I was a tax cut skeptic in some regards, but I'm at the I'm also like one of those idiots that's like, oh my paycheck is bigger. I kind of like this tax cut now. Like that's. A natural reaction <laughs> that I'm having. Um, Paul Ryan, paging Paul Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I d- uh, the Russia investigation is increasingly farcical. Like I, I just think Trump is in a position of real political strength. Democratic uh, congressional generic ballot not looking so not hot. Not looking for the so Dems. hot. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is if you're a Democrat looking at the world, you must think to yourself, "How are we losing to this guy?" Yes. No, Jenna. Probably. Well, I think they're deluded because <laughs> they they don't think they're losing to this guy. Yeah. Well, they it's don't. Be, right. Yeah. Right. Really? You think you think they they think they're in a? They there's no panic yet. Up. Yeah. They're, they have a bunch of candidates, so. Well, I guess we'll dozens have dozens and dozens. Well, binders so we'll full of candidates. Binders full of candidates. Okay. Well, uh, I guess that'll be it for today, guys. Thanks for joining me, and Thank thanks you. for Thank joining you. us on the Daily Standard. <laughs>